Amen. So, man, we're so thankful that you guys are here today. And uh, I got so excited in my worship that uh, I don't even have my eyeballs on. And so, uh, hey, give our media team a round of applause. Thank you, Chuck. <laughs> so thank you guys for bailing me out. And, uh, man, I would rather get lost in worship in Jesus. And um, look like an idiot, but who cares, man? I would rather have time with Jesus today. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? Give God a round of applause. Isn't it good to be, man, I don't know about you, but I needed that. And with all the fear and all the stuff, and everybody's freaking out. And, uh, man, I'm telling you, what do we got to be worried about, guys? Jesus is still on the throne. He's still God. And uh, you guys are totally, we're being dominated by fear. Man, I don't know about you, I'm going out with faith. I believe he's still alive, and I believe he wants to help us. Matter of fact, I get the privilege to tell you about that today. My name is Terry Pierce. I'm the lead pastor here at Connect Church. And uh, last Sunday... We kicked things off uh, with a bang last week. We talked to you guys about this new sermon series that we're so pumped about. Uh, and man, it launched last week and we're ready for round two on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. And uh, we're talking to you guys about a Jewish lawyer comes to Jesus. And we unpack for you the gospel because what we preach here to, at, at uh, Connect Church is just the word of God. And in Luke chapter 10, we told you last week about a dude, a Jewish lawyer that comes to Jesus Christ. And he has a conversation. He knows he's a very profound religious man. This lawyer is wanting to sort of impress Jesus. He's wanting to let him know, I am a Jewish lawyer, and um, I follow the law of God, and so I want you to be impressed with me. Can you imagine, can you imagine somebody being stupid enough to try and, and impress God with who you are? Anybody in the room ever done that? Need to hold up a mirror right now because all of us have played that stupid game. Well, God, I went to church one time last month. I even put $5 in a little box. And so God, just be impressed. And anyway, so this lawyer has a conversation with God, and he's coming at it from that whole self-absorbed mentality that we do. And uh, he approaches Jesus, and Jesus, and by the way, you know, y'all are sitting back and we're reading this 2,000 years later and you're going, you moron, you know Jesus knows everything. Why in the world would you try to impress Jesus? Well, why do you do the same thing? And so he already knows that Jesus knows who he is. And so he asks him the most important question the lawyer does. He says to Jesus, what must I, you know, who I am, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, let's get serious for a second here. It's one thing for us to be arrogant and try to impress God with our religion. But it is a whole other level of stupid. When you are gambling on heaven and hell and playing games with Jesus Christ and Almighty God. Did you hear me this morning? When you're playing games with heaven and hell, what must I do 
to inherit eternal life. And Jesus is fixing to lay this dude out. I mean, he is going to hit him square between the eyes. And, uh, and now, to, just to give you a little bit of setting, a little bit more context to what this Jewish lawyer was about, we learned last Sunday in the message, and if you haven't got a chance to hear it, go back and listen to it online. And here's the thing. The, the Jewish, uh, a, a really good Jewish lawyer uh, who was proficient in the law, the, the Bible law, he would uh, wear a leather pouch on his forehead. And it was taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6 out of context because that's what us good religious people do. It's like you carrying, and I know I offended folks last week, so let me try again. It's like us carrying our big, giant King James Version-only Bible because if I carry a big old Bible in here, Cheryl, I'm a better Christian than you are. And anyway, and so we got... <laughs> So we got our big giant Bible that we, uh, that we carried into the, you know, and, and, and their version of it was as he wore a leather pouch on his head. And because God said in Deuteronomy 6, I want you to take the word of God and I want you to, to put it on your forehead and I want you to put it on your lips. He didn't mean literally. He meant figuratively, I want you to be consumed with the word of God that we just sang about. I want it to be in your heart, though. But the Jews, because you know how good we are at faking it. I'm telling you, they were Baptist Jews. And, uh, and so the, I don't even know if that exists. But anyway, uh, and he took the leather pouch and he wrapped it around his head. And so Jesus looks at him in Luke 10. And this is so cool. And Jesus is so cool. He just says, so what does your forehead say? I mean, honestly, is basically, and he's almost all but making fun of him because those of you that think Jesus was just this super sweet, kind in person, and Jesus was more worried about people dying and going to hell. And so if he needed to confront him, Regina, he laid him out. Uh, he wasn't this sugary southern Jesus that we make him out to be. And he says, so what's your forehead say? And the guy pulls out the copy, and as we learned last Sunday, it's called the Shema. And it's Deuteronomy 30. And he had a copy of it because he was rich. Most people didn't. And he pulls out the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. And then listen for it. Shh, listen for it. Drop the mic. Jesus says this. And he said unto him, you've answered correctly. Bingo, ding, ding, you win. But now go and do this and you will live. And the lawyer's like, what? You mean I got to live this out? I got to love God more than me? And then I've got to love my neighbor? I don't do that, man. I ain't getting my hands dirty with anybody. And so he then asked him, well, you know, because he's now feeling guilty. And he says, so to Jesus, he goes, well, who in the flip is my neighbor? You know, like, define this for me if you're so spiritual. Uh, you know, and, and how we play games with God. And so this is what unfolds. And, and you can just see uh, that Jesus is just playing with this guy. And he's just really drilling down on him. And, and, and let me just pause here for a second. The first measure of making a huge mistake in our life is like the lawyer. When we come and we play games with religion... You're never going to find God by doing it your way. Let me say that again. You're never going to find God by bringing him down to your level. He doesn't work that way. He gets to call the shots. And Jesus 
says to the lawyer, you've got to do this, because he knew the motives of the lawyer. The problem is not how much you know, sir. It's stuck on your forehead, moron. The problem is, is you're missing it by 18 inches. You're not doing this. You're not loving your neighbor. And I'm just telling you this morning, it's that 18 inches of knowing who God is. We're in the South. We all know who Jesus is. We've all heard of the stories of Jesus. You know what we're supposed to do, but do we do it? No. And the problem is, as Jesus is saying, guys, uh, it's the problem of what you're seeing. It's what we just sang about in worship. And here's what we learned last Sunday to summarize the point that Jesus was making to the lawyer. What you are determines what you see. And what you see determines what you do. Let me say that again. The problem with this lawyer was he wasn't seeing his neighbors. You hear me this morning? He wasn't seeing the other needs around him because why? He didn't have a heart for Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, James, he saw sick people and he healed them. He saw hurting people and he comforted them. He saw dying people and he raised them from the dead. Mark, Jesus had a heart for God because he, and because he had a heart for God, he was able to see the needs of people. I'm convinced the reason that the outside world is not running into the church is because we don't even see them and their lostness and their needs. And we've got to get back to getting a heart for Jesus. And if we get a heart for him, we're going to see. And then when we see the needs, it's going to dictate how you do church. Whoa, yeah, I went there. You mean our church is going to be different if we allow Jesus into the room? Yeah. <laughs> when you get a heart for Jesus, you're not cared. You're not get upset. I remember 20 years ago facing this, this stupidity of a lady who literally, as our church started to grow, you remember that day, Tony? A lady looked at one of the new people coming into the auditorium, just like we're filled with new people today, and one of our ladies in our church said to them, excuse me, you need to move because that's my seat. <laughs> I mean, you realize how ridiculous we are in the Baptist church when we do that stupidity. Seriously. We've lost the whole purpose of why Jesus came. Get your John Brown backside up. That person doesn't know Jesus. Man, put a royal rug down on it. Say, sit here and let Jesus save your sorry soul. You go sit outside. I'm sorry. No, I'm not asking our members to do that. Well, I tithe and pay membership. I'm going to say, well, whatever. I'm just saying. It's about people who need the Lord. When you get a heart for seeing Jesus, it determines what you do. And when you want to see people come to Jesus, then this has got to become our prayer. We prayed this last week, all week. I believe God's going to do fantastic things in your all's lives. Here's what we've been praying. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10 today, and you understand it this morning. People will not care how much we know until they know how much we care. We're going to tell more of the story. All we got to last Sunday, and it took us a long time to get there, amen, uh, sound guys, is that it took us a long time just to talk about the lawyer. So now we're going to get the rest of the story today. So let me set it up like this. People don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. Uh, what's your favorite holiday? What's your all's favorite holiday? What? 
Christmas, all right, we're going to get to that one. Hang on, sis. You just, you know, teachers always jump the gun. Anyway, uh, and, uh, and so, it uh, hurts to turn that. Uh, so what's your favorite holiday? Let's start with a fall. All right, do we have any Halloween fans in here? So raise your hand if you uh, love, all right, we got some. We got hands going up all the room. Man, put your hands down and run to the altar. Don't you know we Baptists don't celebrate Halloween? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> man, don't you feel guilty now? Oh, I'll put my hand down now. Anyway, I'm just kidding uh, because, listen, 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 look at me. We in the Baptist church, we don't, you know, we don't fake and put on our outfits and come to church every Sunday, so we don't like Halloween. Anyway, I'm just saying, ouch. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm, just, I'm just kidding, sort of. Uh, anyway, so uh, we do this whole thing, and you, you dress up as you want, you know, just, you know, dress up as the Apostle Terry. Anyway, I'm just kidding, so don't do that. That would be an ugly costume, wouldn't it? Anyway, uh, that would be scary. Uh, so uh, we, we do, how, all right, what about, let's move on from Halloween. Halloween and those of you that just repented. Uh, what about what's, what's next? How many of you love Thanksgiving? Yeah. Uh, so, all right, we got. Okay, okay. It's not that big a deal. Oh my gosh, that was so your mom over the top. Anyway, uh, so uh, so uh, the uh, uh, this his mom is my wife. Sorry. Anyway, uh, anyway, so I better explain that. <laughs> I better explain that to all of you. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> uh, and actually, it comes more for me than her. But anyway, uh, so uh, what's your favorite part of Thanksgiving? Don't you answer? All right, what what is your favorite part? No, I will get there. So, what's your favorite part of Thanksgiving? Family, all right, you got family and all that stuff. Man, I appreciate that, and that is a good spiritual answer, but it's not mine. Let's be honest, the food, okay? Are you with me, Donut? All right, so the food, man, it is great food on Thanksgiving, so let's just call it like it is. I love Thanksgiving food. All right, uh, how about you Christmas? All right, Lane. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, don't sing it. All right, wow. And that's not even a Christian song. All right, anyway, and so, uh, man, we've got so many pagans in the room today. All right, uh, so anyway, it's what our church does. So we're singing, and, and we love Christmas, so what's your favorite part of Christmas? What's your favorite part of Christmas? Everything. Everything. What else? Okay. Yeah, Keena stole my thunder. So I thought somebody, I thought somebody in a church this size, yes, thank you. That right answer is Jesus. <laughs> you know, the birth of Jesus. I've got a room filled with 350 people here today, 400 people today, and not one person finally come up with Jesus. You guys need to all hit the altar. I'm just saying, that's embarrassing. But Keena stole my thunder. She really wants to be my, like my sister I never wanted. And, uh, and I say that sincerely. But I'm with Keena. My favorite part of Christmas, and I know this doesn't sound spiritual when I'm a preacher, but my favorite part of Christmas is presents. I love stuff. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. And my love language, Jody and Kathy walked us through marriage stuff years ago, and, and uh, they just said, you know, what, identify your love language. And, you know, I finally was like yelling at Belen. My love language is I want stuff. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it's not quality time and it's not caring and, you know, cards. Man, you can give me a card and a plaque. Thanks. Who cares? I want stuff. Uh, you know, I want, I want stuff, and I know that's my struggle, and I have to pray over it, but that's who God made me. I like stuff, and I like to celebrate stuff. And, and anyway, uh, so it's my love language. It's just the way God made me, and he refines it, so don't judge me. All right, and anyway, and, and we give, so all right. So here's the thing, but you know what my favorite holiday is? My, fa my favorite, and it should be. Good grief, uh, Terry. My favorite holiday as a pastor is Easter. And it's not just the Sunday school answer. My favorite holiday is Easter. And it's because of what Jesus did, did for me. 
And if you come to our church here at Easter, man, you understand, we live all year long for Easter here at Connect Church. I mean, it is what we're about. It is what we celebrate, and we do it up big. And I mean, I'm telling you, three services, it is our favorite day of the year. And, and here's why. Because I love the fact that Jesus not only died on a cross, and here's what separates me uh, from my Catholic roots and, and knowing family and friends where I grew up in my community. But the Catholic Church is great about celebrating and honoring the cross. And they honor the cross and everything has the cross on it and Jesus on the cross. And I get that. And that is a vital theological piece to understanding how we're saved. Absolutely totally agree with that. But the problem is, is that that church focuses on the cross and Jesus on the cross. I'm telling you, he ain't on a cross anymore. He's not in a tomb anymore. He arose on the third day. He's alive and he's interceding for me today. I'm telling you, I love Easter because he's alive and he loves me and he wants to make a difference in my life this morning. And that really hurt gosh, do not tell Belen she's in the nursery what I just did. So here's the cool thing. The reason I love Easter, <laughs> oh my goodness, the reason I love Easter is because what happens after Easter. Jesus is living in my heart this morning. I get to come to his house every Sunday and celebrate the resurrection, Miss Barbara. Every day I wake up, are you listening to me? And I find joy in Jesus. Do you know that God created you? And his whole purpose of creating you, you looking at me this morning? God's whole purpose in creating you was for you to enjoy him. And we've missed that somehow. We live our lives consumed by the fears and the health and we run away from church and God and everything else and all the while God said Lee I made you like Lee Mary doesn't understand you but I made you like Lee and I want you to enjoy me and he says the same thing to Shannon and to Chris and to Madison and to, and to every one of you he created you to enjoy him that's why I love Easter because Easter changes how I live every day. I get to live figuring out how to enjoy Jesus again today. And when I figure out how to enjoy Jesus every day, the other piece of it is, is he teaches me how to live my life focused not on me, but on helping my neighbor come to find him. And so Jesus is going to unpack for you and I today the very message of Easter. And this is what Jesus says. You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Do this, and you will live. And before the lawyer can even just, his, by the way, if you looked into the story, the lawyer's draw is on the ground at this point because Jesus just laid him out. He's taken the little pouch. He's read to him the law. You did it right. Yeah, you read it right. Good job, Mr. Forehead. But now go do it. And the lawyer's jaw is on the ground. And before he can say a word or object, Jesus says, oh, this is good, folks. Baptist folks, 
Jesus says, let me give you a lecture on the finer points of being able to do the law and what they mean. Jesus just looks at him. And this is Jesus' style of preaching, by the way. Would you not say that you want a pastor who does Jesus' style of preaching rather than what you want? And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. And dude, I'm telling you, David, it is a story for the ages that would help him understand what it means to do what he already knew. Verse 29. This is the story. But he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? Wrong question, dude. Boom. And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him, and he departed, leaving him half dead. And now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. Nice. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, Notice the whole Baptist Jew thing here going. He passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and where he saw him, and he had compassion. That's a new word. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds and pouring on, on oil and wine. And then he set him on his animal, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, and he gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you, more you spend... And we know he wasn't a good Baptist then. Uh, Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Question Jesus asking. And without even hesitation, the lawyer was so humbled and just blown away. Because that's the power of Jesus' storytelling. He simply said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said unto him, you go and do likewise. Boom, the mic dropped. I'm just telling you, uh, it was there. And so when you read this story, you know, you're thinking about, well, and I know what you're sitting here in the audience doing. You're going, well, who's my neighbor? And, 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 and here's the thing. Uh, and, and, you know, the way that we tell the story and the way we've heard it in the Sunday school over the years and I've said and preached about it is that this is a good moral story. Man, we want, and I know what your parents are thinking, you tell your kids when they're acting like heathens and they're acting like their dad and they're running around and they're tearing down the house and all that and you tell them the story of the Good Samaritan. You guys need to straighten up and you need to love, you know, your brother and your sister and quit beating them uh, because, you know, that's a good moral story like the Good Samaritan. And unfortunately, that's horrible theology. Because it's not what the Bible teaches in this text. Because if that was the story and that was the case of Jesus just being a nice, good, moral story for us all to go out and love and be nice, good people, then Jesus would have made the Jewish priest the highlight of the story. But Jesus doesn't do that. He takes the heathen, the half-breed, The reason this is a crazy story is because the Samaritans were the folks, let's just call it like it is, they were on the wrong side of the tracks in town. Y'all don't judge me. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. They lived in that neighborhood that y'all don't go into. They lived in that community that y'all don't want anything to do with it. They were on the wrong side of the tracks. They were half-breeds. The Jews hated them. We're going to find out just how much in just a second. And Jesus makes that dude the hero of the story. So what's he doing here? 
Because he's not teaching you a good moral story of how to be nice. Here's what Dr. Brock, Dr. Brock says about this passage, New Testament scholar. The shocking stories, expectations in the account are that the priest and the Levite are the good guys. That's what the Jewish lawyer is like. Oh yeah, this is going to be a great story. Who could be counted on to help a weary traveler. But a Samaritan? A half-breed? A renegade? He's the last person from whom one could expect compassion. I mean, you talk about ripping this lawyer's heart out. Jesus does when he tells this story. So it's a little different than the way you and I have heard it, isn't it? But this is what the Bible says. Why don't we do that? Look at me. You know what the old-fashioned way is? I'm not talking about you and my's old-fashioned way. The way Jesus wrote the book is the way we should teach it. That's the old-fashioned way. Jesus picks this treacherous road. Let's take it even deeper. Jesus tells a story about this Jew walking down this road. Now, what you and I don't understand maybe necessarily, but here's what the Jewish lawyer understood and all those that heard this story. Mark, back in the day, they all understood that. And culturally, we just skip right past this. But digging deeper into the text, here's what happens. That road that he's talking about where the guy got beat up, Let's just put yourself there this morning to appreciate how intense this story is. This road was a literal road. The Jewish lawyer knew exactly what he was talking about. And it was a road that went from Jericho to Jerusalem. And this road had a high elevation point in it. And it was a road that y- y'all ever driven through like the, the Smoky Mountains. And, you, and uh, when you come in from Tennessee and North Carolina and you're headed to, you know, to Gatlinburg from that angle out of Knoxville. And when you hit part of I-40 there, you just get squeezed in. And you got truckers wall to wall. And on both sides of you is nothing but solid rock. And uh, for us claustrophobic, I can tell some of y'all ain't claustrophobic. Dude, I'm on I-40 going, you know, I need a bathroom. Because I'm just telling you, I get nervous and there's nowhere to go. If you wreck, you get, uh, you know, your car breaks down, there's nowhere to go. Well, that's the picture of this road that people would walk down. And so, and instead of just having the mountains and, and all that, they actually had caves in those mountains. And so there's nowhere to go. You're walking with these elevated rocks all around you with caves in them, and people would jump out, and they would beat the tire out of you, and none of these police officers were there with us. Where were you guys at? And so all of these, uh, all of this stuff is going down, and you needed these guys, and, uh, and all of a sudden, they just got, you were always getting beat up. Even these guys didn't want to go down that road. Now here's another significant piece about that road, and this literally burnt the biscuits at a lawyer. When Jesus calls out this road, the reason you went down this road and risked your life to go down this road is because there was a nice, safe way around this mountain, this road, but you had to go through the city of Samaria. So listen to this, Gary. The Jews would not travel from Jerusalem to Jericho and go through the city of Samaria because they hated him so bad. Nice, safe, got McDonald's, Chick-fil-A on, except on Sunday. All of those things. Uh, they go through Samaria. Just kidding. And, and, and they don't go through Samaria because they're half-breeds, because they're the, just, you know, they're the people on the wrong. So they would literally risk their own health 
to stay away from the people on the wrong side of the tracks. Can you imagine living in a society where they, we were that prejudiced and we were that uh, racist that we didn't literally want to go around people because we were afraid that so we would risk our own health and life? Always got quiet in here, didn't it? If I've not offended you yet, I'm really trying. So I'm just telling you this morning. Uh, so they go down this road because it's not me. It's what Jesus, this is his story, guys. I'm just telling you what's in the Bible. Don't get mad at me and email me. This is the Bible. And so now this Jewish lawyer is just like, what? And so, you know, he's thinking, we've got this guy that's been beat up and robbed and left for dead. He's bleeding out. And then all of a sudden, a priest comes by. And have you ever thought in this story, this Jew that's been left bloody and beaten up, and Michelle, you've got to be thinking, here comes the preacher. You know, here comes Brother Terry, and sure enough, you know, Brother Terry's going to stop by, and, you know, I go to his synagogue, you know, and, you know, it's church anyway. Uh, and so, you know, I go to his synagogue, and, and you know, and, and surely Brother Terry's going to, you know, man, he's going to pick me up, and he's going to, and Brother Terry just... Yeah, wow, man, that one's a mess. I ain't got time for that. I got a schedule. I got four counseling appointments, three funerals, you know, and all. And, and so Brother Terry, the, pri the priest, he walks by on the other side of the road. He just goes on about, never even acknowledges him. Sort of like some of you on Sunday morning. I'm not shaking your hand. Anyway, I, and so he just walks by him on the other side and, and leaves him there. Have you ever thought about what that guy must have been thinking? Dang it. Hey, that guy too much. I don't know. Anyway, and so, you know, the whole time I can hear some of y'all. And then the Levite comes along. Now, do y'all know who the Levite is? The Levite, put it in your vernacular terms of today's world, the Levite is like the JV priest. You know, Colton, you know, when you didn't make the varsity, you got stuck on the JV back in the day. Anyway, uh, and so it's just the, uh, he's on the JV team. And uh, he wants to be a priest. But a Levite, he basically, he was like the guy in the church that comes to church, be almost like a deacon, you know. He was a leader in the church. Everybody knew who he was. Good guy. Wasn't a preacher, but he was a good guy, good leader in the church, taught a connect group. And so now the Levite, uh, he walks by and goes, well, I just saw the preacher walk by. And, <laughs> you know, if he's not going to help you, I'm not either. Uh, and so he just literally follows the preacher's example. Don't do that. Uh, and anyway, and he... Uh, <laughs> And he walks by him on the other side. Have you ever thought what that wounded, bleeding out guy must have thought? Can I throw this at you? Maybe the wounded guy says if this is what Christianity really is, and this is the way they treat people, I will never set foot in that synagogue again. they're supposed to help and I wonder how many people are going to die and go to hell because we're not looking for the neighbor and the co-worker and the kid at school that everybody's bullying is bloodied and beaten and you claim to go to connect church and you walk by them every day of your life And so when Jesus tells this story, the lawyer is looking a whole different look on that knowledge 
on his forehead. And Dr. Danny Aiken says this about the text, because it's fixing to get real. The lawyer never in his wildest dreams thought that God would define his neighbor as a hurting man in a rough part of town from a different ethnic group who needed his compassion. Is it not true, folks? I don't know about you, but I haven't got Jesus figured out. And the more that I read and study about him, the more I realize I ain't like him. Do you all ever do that? And the more I think I know where he's going to go, Jesus is, I, I think this is why they call him God and not me. You hear me this morning? But neither are you. Folks, we need to be listened to God a whole lot more than what we do. We need to become a whole lot more humbler. I know that's not a good word, but it'll work. <laughs> we need to become a whole lot more humble. And we need to just simply, because I talk for a living, I, I'm just telling you, we need to lay down our pride and just see God for who he is. And what he says he is, not what we want him to be. And why? Because the message of the Good Samaritan is not a moral story for you how to raise your kids. This is, the, this is the story of the Good Samaritan. People will not care how much we know until they know how much we care. Now get your notes out. In the next six minutes this, this morning, I want to share with you very quickly today, uh, Pastor J.D. Greer uh, makes these observations in the text. Chuck all gets all getting excited because he's his favorite preacher. I don't know why I am. But anyway, and uh, so I want to share with you today an outline of, of three thoughts uh, that J.D. points out about this text today that are money, and uh, we're going to adapt them to our Connect Church situation. Now, number one, what does it mean to love our neighbor? If we're going to really live out the, the sermon title today, what does it really mean to love our neighbor? And this truth is the Samaritan and the Jew couldn't have had less in common. It's natural for us to, you know, to, to want to help and identify with this story. But the truth is, is that I'm telling you, and very quickly, I'm afraid that we made a huge mistake in past generations in the American church. Let me just say this and move on. My generation, I'm taking responsibility, is that we were growing up in a culture and society where we were watching our country just become more immoral and more depraved. And somehow we made a conscious decision coming out of the 50s that is the world and the craziness of our country. You think it's bad now. I'm old. You need to go back to the 60s and 70s. Trust me, you, those were not the glory days that we all claim. I mean, it was horrific. You, the streets were filthy. People were being killed. You think it's bad. I mean, it, seriously, you go back and look at it. Learn from history. But God would bring a revival in our country in the 80s, and it would somewhat change some of that. But, but I'm telling you, we still don't get it. We keep going back. And the problem is, is what we did in the 60s and 70s is we decided, and you know what we did, Miss Marie? It was like, I don't want the world to get into our church, so we're going to circle the wagons, Miss Barbara, and we're going to make sure that we keep our church pure and we keep our church clean and we don't get our hands dirty because they might influence us and we might lose our children. In the meantime, our children ran to all of the bad stuff. They ran to all of the party stuff because we were hiding out. And the whole time Jesus was saying, I got a different model. Go get them and bring them in and let me clean them up. So how do we learn that by confession that we have done this model wrong? What does it mean to love our neighbor? And this is what Jesus says. This is not Brother Terry. 
And he said unto him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. And this is what we've been trying to teach you guys. Folks, how do we, what does it mean to love our neighbor? What you are determines what you see and what you see determines what you do. Folks, we've got to begin to pray for our neighbors. We've got to begin to pray for our coworkers, and we've got to begin to pray, students, for the kids that we go to school with and let God open up doors that we can move in and love on them, and we've got to sit, quit coming, just sitting here, and we've got, you are an army of God. Very quickly this morning, let me tell you something. I know this is going to be offensive to a few of you, but the truth of the matter is we have this little thing called a church directory. And every quarter, we put this thing out and we update it. And all you've got to do, and this is what I pray over, I'm praying over every name, every family of this church, and we do that. And that's one of the hopeful benefits of why you want to come to Connect Church, because you're going to have a pastor and a staff that's praying over you by name. Amen? I mean, what a powerful thing. The greatest thing I will ever do to you as pastor is to pray over your family by name every single John Brown week. If that's the only selling point, I would want to run to that church that prays for me, that wants Jesus to get me and help me. But let me tell you something. If we don't see your butts here for a year, we're not leaving you in the directory. And it's not because of a legalism thing. It's not because of we're trying to, if you don't join our club, it has nothing to do with that at all. Because, Tony, I've come to the conclusion life is short. And I'm not looking for a country club membership that I can pray over you because, you know, you came here. I'm talking about I need to see you here. And if I don't, I'm going to remove you because why? Just off the directory thing. You can be a member and die and go to wherever. But anyway, I don't care about the membership. What I care about is I want to see you here because why? We need an army. The reason I pray over that directory, Mike and Cindy, Easter, is because I need an army. People are dying and going to hell, and I want an army. Not a club, not a membership thing. All I ask you to do is show up so I can pray over you and send you out. Our new motto is we gather to go. We gather to go. We need an army. How do we determine to love our neighbor? And as I wrap all this up, let me tell you a story. And this comes, and this is so cool because this is not a sermon illustration that I bought off the internet. This is what we do here every week. I'm not telling you what we used to do in our bus ministry 30 years ago. Good, nothing wrong with it. But I'm telling you today what God is doing this week, this month, at Connect Church through people just like you, members of this church. So we got a guy in our church, and, and he sends me this email. He listened to the message last week, and he said, Terry, Brother Terry, you've been busting our chops about, you know, the fact and drilling down that we've got to go into our neighborhoods and love. And I'm just reading reading that when he sent me in the email, and he said to love Jesus through our actions. And back at the end of May, he says, I was riding, uh, my, mower, I was riding and mowing my yard, and my lawnmower broke down. And he said, it sits, I sit on a one-acre lot, and he said it was about one-fourth of the way through it, and he said it was hot at the end of May. And all of a sudden, he tells a story. A guy in our church tells a story. And he said this, uh, uh, my neighbor, about two doors down, comes up riding his John Deere lawnmower and he says hey would you care if I helped you finish your yard I saw your lawnmower broke and he goes yeah man thank you and he mowed his yard took him about 30 minutes finished out the yard and he got off the mower and the guy in our church just says to him he says you know hey man man I thank you what I owe you and he says listen don't worry about it and uh and then he started talking to him and the guy in our church just says hey let me invite you to and tell you about Jesus and you know connect church 
And the guy backed up, and he was an older gentleman. And he said, son, he said, um, I'm a Vietnam veteran. And he said, when I came home from the war, and he said, I went to a church. And he said, and I was the guy that when the church people saw me, the way I looked, they were like, we don't need that kind in our church. They're not going to be a good church member. And he said, I've never been back since. And he said, so I'm out. And so the guy in our church says, well, man, he said, I'm so sorry, but, you know, and they just started talking. But then the Vietnam veteran said, um, well, if you're a church guy, he said, let me tell you something. He said, um, I've, um, I've been diagnosed with cancer. I have four tumors in my body. And he said, uh, and so it's really a hard season for me. I don't know how much time I have left, so I just came over to mow your yard and be a good neighbor. And our church guy looked at him, and the Holy Spirit, yeah, Baptist, the Holy Spirit said, shut up and pray for that dude right now. So Alan said, uh, sir, he said, um, preacher's been telling us we need to do this stuff. Can I just pray for you? This guy that doesn't like church reaches up. He's an old school guy in respect, takes off his hat, and Alan just prays over him. It says, God, you love this guy. And God, you know what he's going through. And God, I'm asking for healing, but if you choose not to heal him, that you're going to walk with him, and he's going to know that you love him and you care for him. And God, I pray you just being peace and comfort, but more than anything, this guy would know you exist and you care about him. And he said the Vietnam veteran drove off. And he said he would come home, and uh, his yard would be mowed the next few weeks. <laughs> Never said a word. He went, this guy in our church went on a mission trip for a couple of weeks, and he come home, and his yard had been mowed. And he knew it was a John Deere Vietnam veteran guy. And so he, um, he went to thank him, and he said, man, I just want to thank you. Uh, and, and again, he just lived two houses down from him. Church in your neighborhood, your neighborhood, your neighborhood. And uh, Vietnam veteran came out, and he said, Alan, Tears were streaming down his face. He said, I need to tell you something about my cancer. Let the Holy Spirit use you guys to make a difference. You want to know joy? Are you listening to Alan's story? And Alan said, well, tell me. And the neighbor said, I went to the oncologist this week. And you know those four tumors? The oncologist apologized, and he said, sir, he goes, we've made a huge mistake. You have four tumors growing in your body, but somehow we thought they were cancerous, and they're not. They're benign. And he said, I don't know how we did this, but we just made a huge mistake. <laughs> Alan's wanting to scream, I know <laughs> you didn't make a huge mistake. I know who Jesus is. You just don't, Doc. And that guy started having tears just flood down his face who didn't like church, who got offended by folks like us. And he said, um, 
He said, so I didn't really believe it, so I went to my cancer doctor, and my cancer doctor confirmed the oncologist studies and reports and said, sorry, man, we made a huge mistake. He said, you come back every three months, but right now you've got a clean bill of health. Go live your life. And the old Vietnam veteran just said, thank you for praying for me. When I was at my lowest, you love me. What does it mean to love your neighbor? See a need. Pray and do your best to meet that need. And Alan said, uh, let's pray again. And they just prayed in the front yard in their neighborhood and said, let's praise God for what he's done. And when he got done, the neighbor said, I've got a friend that's been after me for 30 years to go to church. I'm going with him next Sunday. But tonight, tonight, he said, um, can I join your connect group? And I want to know uh, and just say thank you for a group of people that's been praying for me. And Lord willing, he'll be in Allen's connect group tonight. Somebody say amen. That's what it means to love your neighbor. Number two, why we love our neighbor. I got to finish this out. Let me just say this morning. Do you know who, um, and th there's, there's a little bit of debate on this theologically, and the people that are right agree with me. But you know who, if you were to tell the story of the Good Samaritan, where's Jesus at in the story? Where's Jesus at in the story? Isn't that a valid question? Next Sunday, next Sunday, I'm going to tell you, let me just go ahead and give you a little introduction, but next Sunday, one service only, baby, we're going to tell you, I honestly believe, and scholarship that's correct backs me up on this, is that Jesus is the Samaritan. Jesus is the guy that the Jews hated. Jesus is the person that you hated. Jesus is the person that you rejected, you rejected, I rejected. Jesus is the one that was the half-breed. Jesus is the one we didn't have anything to do with. But when we were broken, when we were wounded, when we were left for dead, who came to heal us and to help us? His name is Jesus. Jesus is the Good Samaritan. Somebody say amen. I got about 30 more minutes, but we're going to skip next week. Just telling you. That's where we're going. Y'all ready? Number three, because this is how we're going to leave. How do we love our neighbor? In your bulletin, pull them out right now at the guest services desk. You've got a little sheet here. And it's how we're going to leave. I want you to pull this sheet out. Number one, we're going to start prayer walking around your neighborhood. I want you to take this sheet, and I want you to begin to write down. And, and guys, you may go to high school. You say, I live so far out in Etiwamba County, I don't even got a neighbor. Uh, I get you. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to write down the name of your coworker. The, the, the schoolmate that you go with. I want you to fill out names of people that you come in contact with and, and, and in your neighborhood. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to start praying over them. I'm not asking you to go sell them anything. I'm not asking you to go door to door unless God opens up the door. But I'm telling you, folks, it begins with prayer. 
We need to drive through our neighborhoods. We need to go to school and at work. And we need to begin to pray for people. Number two, fill out the eight houses closest to you the best you can. Get their names, the co-worker, whoever God lays on your heart, the school classmate in your neighborhood. And then uh, I want you to put their names down. And in your family devotions, you're going to pray for them. Put this on your fridge at home. And you begin to pray for God to open up doors in your neighbor. Number three, ask your neighbor how you can pray for them. Alan's got it right. Here's the challenge between now and tailgate Sunday for God to give you the courage. You got four weeks to suit up, Susie, and we're going to do this. God, lead me to go up to my neighbor that I'm going to build a relationship with, and God, lead me to just ask them, dude, how can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? The co-worker, the classmate at school, do you do that, whatever you want to say, how can I pray for you? And then I want you to take and I want you to give them an invite card. This is one of our church cards. We got a thousand of them out at the guest services. They better be gone. I want you to take a card and I want you to invite them to tailgate Sunday. And I want you to pray that they come and they hear the story of Jesus Christ. How will people be saved? They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Shall we stand? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your message and your word this morning. And God, we pray today that you would launch us into being an army of God. Not people who sit on the sidelines or just listening to soak it in. But God, we're being launched by you. We're being sent out. We gather to go. And God, I pray today, if there's one here that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, They've heard the story of the resurrection, the Christ crucified, and right now you're going to pray into your heart and your life for the very first time. Dear Jesus, I want you to forgive me of my sins. I believe that you went to hell for me. You paid that debt that I could never pay, and I apply, I apply the blood of Jesus to my sins today. Thank you for saving me today. If you just prayed that prayer, I'm going to invite you to come to an old-fashioned altar. We're not going to sing a verse of invitation this morning. We're just going to be still and quiet. Nobody looking around. I invite you, my friend, to come today. If you're praying this prayer at home, I invite you to make a public profession. Let us know. Our counselors will meet with you and pray with you. We want to confirm that decision in your heart and your life today. Would you just come to an old-fashioned altar and say, God, I want to make it known. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Would you come? Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 10.30. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like answered, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.